Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan, and I will be your host. We just arrived in St. Gallen. It's not the first city you think of as a startup hotspot, but it's actually home to some amazing companies like Frontify, for example. We'll be meeting with Andreas Fischler, who was still CEO at Frontify when we recorded the interview, but has since stepped down from the job. This does not, of course, change anything about his great business advice or about his personal story, but we thought this might be an information our listeners would like to know. When you visit a startup, you usually arrive at an office building and then look for the doorbell. At Frontify, this is not the case. Due to the company's fast growth, they took over the whole building. The office provides bright rooms, cool desks, great terraces, and also gimmicks like ping pong tables and the really cool library. The place where Andy is sitting down with us to record this interview. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SBB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at sbbstartup.com. Andy, a very warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's great to have you here today and thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you very much for the invitation. You were partner at the well-established uh, consulting firm in St. Gallen. You worked there for 12 years and now you are a startup CEO. How did that happen? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I always was kind of uh, super interested also in the tech side, kind of. So I started like my first studies were at the ETH, like electronical engineering. And I broke this up after one semester. And then I went studying uh, um, at the University of St. Gallen. So I was always super interested also in this tech part, um, in computers and things. And so I wanted to uh, um, be somewhere or work somewhere where this uh, internet and all these things happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think the easy decision at that time when I finished uh, university was starting at a professional service firm, like consulting firm, like, like Namix, and, uh, and get into this internet thing, like really. And yeah, so I always was attracted by the possibilities that the internet has, like, and I um, had the chance to learn a pretty broad, um, I think, many different cases like you know, e-commerce, like websites, like applications and so on, how the things work, how bigger companies work. And um, yeah, with that in mind, or oh, I always had in mind kind of to do something by myself at some point in time, I did. I started something, we come probably later to this, sure. after three years at Namix, and then, but the, it was so interesting because the growth of the company was also extraordinary, like uh, over these 12 years from whatever, when I was there from 100 to 500 people. So I had always kind of uh, very much to learn and no real pull out of, of the company to make something different because there were many interesting things to do. And I was, uh, yeah, they, they let me do it as well, kind of. That's a pretty cool environment to be able to, to sort of do the stuff that you learn, right? Mm. You mentioned it before, your first entrepreneurial experience sort of happened after three years of being at Namix, where you uh, co-founded the, the company Saku. Yeah. 
uh, where you basically create a startup that sold packs with solar panels on it to, to sort of charge your phone while you're on the go, right? Exactly, exactly. And wh where did that entrepreneurial spirit or hunger come from? Because as you said, technology interested you, then you had that at the, at the also tech-focused consulting firm, but there was this hunger, this need to start something on your own. Where did that come from? I don't know. I think this is in me. So I have kind of this um, thing in me that I, I want to create things, kind of. And since I studied like economics and I'm interested in tech things, I think so my, my talents are probably kind of there in, in creating things, organizing things. So I thought, yeah, why do I not try to um, yeah, use these talents and really create something and, and prove that it works? Like, I really like this process from idea to proving things that they really work and proving in the sense of economically working, more or less. So. And what does that mean for you? Does that mean that you build a profitable company? Mm -hmm or that you can generate a certain amount of revenue to prove that it actually works? I think it's like this. So I believe that there are hundreds and thousands of ideas in the world. I think having an idea is really the smallest part. Even if many people who start thinking about being like their own entrepreneurs, uh, that built their own company have kind of, ah, oh, I don't have the right idea. But I think this is really not the case. So I think with almost every idea, even if it's already here, you just have to to make it a little bit better than the ones existing, you can create a company. And I think proving that this works is when you can, one person can live from it. Like you don't have to be uh, kind of employed. You work for yourself and it works. Could be a one person consulting company, could be anything else. And I think the important part though, I believe is to find or to, to think of an idea which is really scalable and globally, which is big enough to have the possibility to build a company with 100 or even 1,000 people working for it. I think this is the difficult part. But starting a company with, I don't know, one to five people, I, I think this, many, many people could do this, much more people, I believe. Probably also should do it. That's why yeah. we do the podcast, to inspire them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think this is, very, is a very cool understanding of, you know, how to build something that's actually working as soon as one person can actually live off it. I think this is a very cool statement that people can also take away uh, from, from this session. You also said that you do things in a better or a more innovative way. So you want to improve things if there's the same idea that's already existing. Mm -hmm. So with Saki, you basically built um, bags, but you added a solar panel to it to charge your phone. Was that the only thing that you did differently? Was that sort of your USP where you said, we combine these two things to make them better? Uh, not only, because already that time, so it was mainly the time where these flexible solar pan uh, panels came out like at, a, at an affordable, affordable price. Right. And um, then, yeah, I started like excelling, okay? started Excel, calculating, does this work more or less? Does this come out with a bag for whatever? It was 290 bucks, something like that. So pretty ex on the expensive side, but uh, still there was not enough margin for us to really live in this fashion part. And um, yeah, I think it's always like the combination of things and some of the beliefs you have. So already there, kind of me and my two co-founders at that time, uh, we thought about making the world kind of 
yeah, a more ecological, better place. So we thought it's a good idea, it's a cool idea to have these solar panels. And we did the bags out of used uh, sailing boats, sails. Yes. So this was kind of a, also not so super uh, efficient to find those <laughs> sails from sailing boats since there is no sea here in Switzerland, but there's some, some uh, uh, lakes. Uh, yeah, we, we managed to get some of them. But uh, yeah, probably, yeah, which really just for fun. And we talked to the Freitag guys as well at some point in time, uh, if they're interested in some kind of partnership. But they really said at that time, I believe, uh, when I remember it right, uh, just do your thing and focus on what you're doing. It's super cool. And I think they were more kind of in, uh, they think more in the fashion way and a little bit less in the tech part. And we had kind of this tech part as well. Uh, so. Also driven by your passion, I can imagine, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you sort of built that on the side to your already existing jobs with your two co-founders. When was the certain decision point where you also had to decide whether you actually continue this path or whether you give it to someone else as you did, you mm. sold the company or, you know, also sort of closing the shop? When came this decision and, and how did you deal with that? Let me probably first begin how we started the idea. Sure. So just got shortly. Look, I, I worked for three years uh, at, at, at Namix. And at that point in time, I was project manager, did some consulting. I learned a lot. But then was a point where I thought, come on, it's, uh, it has to go to move on. But there was not kind of exactly at that point in this, uh, a place where I could go. So I decided to make a three-month break. Just ask them if I can unpaid vacation, like for three months. I did this, and in these three months, so if you, give you, if you give yourself time to reflect on what you want to do and how, then just things come usually to your mind. And I had this idea, and I really also had the time to invest in the start of this company, like making our own small ERP with access database and whatever things you need. So there was not so much SaaS at that point in time. Sure. And um, yeah, and then let's say we started again. Like I started again working after three months. I got uh, a, an option to work as a business unit manager at Namix, like leading a team of 30 people at that point in time with about, yeah, I was 29, 30 years old, more or less. And, and that kind of really then excited me again. I saw that I can learn super many things in a short amount of time. And on the other hand, this... Uh, product business, which was cool to learn how and, and to uh, create the product and, and prove that we can sell it. Mm -hmm. um, I, it wasn't that good that we like as three or four people who, who worked on it could have made, made a living of it. Right. So at some point in time, so we did this kind of, I did this in parallel to my job at Namix for about two or three years, I believe. And mm -hmm. uh, we started to outsource some tasks or try to find people who help us with it, but it didn't get enough traction to really decide and go with it. So at some point in time, I told my two friends, come on, let's, you have jobs. I have a job. We all do this kind of besides our jobs. Uh, one option is we really go into it now, but then our task is to optimize the whole supply chain of things. This is not so cool, like creating the product. And you and also need to be able to pay for your salaries, right? Exactly. And, and then we decided together that uh, we uh, try to sell it not just let it die, mm -hmm. uh, try to sell it. And we found a cool partner out of the fashion uh, part, a small one as well. And 
they took it over. So mainly the, the selling price was our uh, stock, kind of what we had, more or less. So we didn't get rich with it. So uh, um, yeah, we just gave it to them and we were super happy that it could live like for another 10 years after we sold it. I think that's a very cool sign that you actually built something that's working, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how much they earned with the bags. They also did other things, probably. Sure. I don't know exactly, but uh, it was a cool thing. We're cool guys and uh, it was fun seeing that it still exists. Uh, nowadays, unfortunately, now it's uh, not there anymore. But the cool thing is also you sort of bootstrapped. So you financed all of this on your own, right? Yeah. I think that's also pretty impressive. You know, it also shows you that for building a business, you don't always need to go to the big investors and the big VCs to actually get something rolling. I think at that time, I wouldn't have known that how this, all, all the things <laughs> work, by the way. Yeah. Maybe that's even better. So that then you really have to try to just build a business that can sustain on itself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was capital efficient at the end of the day. I think we uh, get got the most out of we could, out of the money we had, we could. But um, yeah, uh, it's, it's probably a real, real product. It's probably at the end of the day was not the game. I wanted to be in and I was closer to software at the end of the day than electrical engineering or electronic engineering and fashion. And yeah, so yeah, for me, the decision was, was, was good. I think I learned a lot during this, whatever, four or five years we did that. And uh, yeah, it was okay for me and Sounds for the good. others as well, I believe. Okay. And how did you actually realize that while actually working on, on the project, you also realized, hey, it's cool, I can learn but there's also a certain limitation until where you can actually go and, and grow yourself so that you also realized, hey, it's cool, but I actually also have other things that I'm more interested in that I would like to prefer to do. Exactly. So when you start something like this, you, you start really learning about what you have to do. So you just have to do it and you really start to recognize which parts of having such a company are interesting for you. I think, yeah, for example, optimizing the supply chain, finding new suppliers in China or wherever that we could build the product more cheap, kind of. Yes. So this part of the work was really not what I like to do. And I thought this is now would be the main part to really bring the company further on, yeah. not inventing new products. So I more like the guy who likes to invent new things. Yes. Yeah. And how did he actually go about this? Did he do any like sort of self-reflection or was it really more of learning by doing and just being aware of the, of the tasks and situations that you had at hand? I think I, at, at, at those days, I already had some kind of a small awareness that reflection on what you're doing from time to time, stepping out of a train, uh, going whatever with your bike to the woods, sitting there just for two hours alone, really alone or three hours or even a whole day, uh, write things down, like ask yourself questions. I think I already did this at that time, but not so structured or a bit, little bit less aware than I would do it today, probably. Sure. So, but this is something I think very, very important, which many people in my experience, um, are not doing enough, probably. Really being honest with yourself and really reflecting, asking the hard questions and really answering them truthfully. Even if it's only for yourself, like writing them down brings yes. some truth in it, I think at least. 
and this is also kind of writing is all always kind of structuring your thoughts as well at least for me yep. whole, i think for many people like if you have to write down something you really have to think kind of or you can create a structure then kind of in your thoughts yes I think this is very important and also way more difficult and harder than just running on autopilot and going to your job every day and don't really question anything. Mm. It will also probably get you closer to your long-term goals. For sure, for sure. So self-reflection, I think by, as you do it, sitting in the woods and thinking and writing things down is a very good recommendation for anybody, but especially also for founders. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, pretty, pretty much needed. Yeah. Very nice. Then 12 years after, you know, you, know, you still worked at Namix, uh, parallel to your, to your uh, first startup. Mm -hmm. Then 12 years after, you actually left Namix for taking a CEO job at Frontify. Exactly. You have already been involved with the company before that. Can you walk us how the episode, the new chapter of Frontify sort of started in your life? Because you were colleagues with the founder, right? Exactly. So uh, Roger, who is uh, the founder of Frontify and uh, nowadays CTO and head of product as well, um, he worked, so we worked, I think, together about two years at Namix. I don't know exactly, one or two years, but yeah, he, he already kind of started to, at working at Namix, he found out that there's a problem between designers and developers, like collaboration-wise. Mm -hmm. And he started to, to build a, a software for it, uh, really. And I saw, when I first saw it, we started to use it at Namix. And I saw this software and I thought, hey, come on, this is really pretty good shit. Uh, this is kind of, there's not so many developers in here that can do that, what he did, like alone. Like really design skills, UX skills, developer skills. You usually need the whole team to he, get that right. Exactly. He did it just alone. And then I once, I saw he, he sent me once, uh, it was a small, small episode. He sent me once a presentation he did for some speech somewhere mm -hmm. about a topic. And at that point in time, this was kind of seven years ago, not so many people did cool presentations, like with only one cool word on it and so on. And he was asking, hey, you're a developer. Why are you so good at that? So you're a kind of special guy. Yeah, by the way, so uh, uh, he was a very, uh, um, he was a cool guy and very interesting. And, and then he started uh, building this, uh, what nowadays is our workspace. It's a part of a product still, but this collaboration part. And um, he did that. We started using it at, at, at Namix and then he wanted to go out. He got an introduction from the CEO of that time at Namix to uh, Mike Neff. At Doodle. The co-founder of Doodle. He could, yeah. Exactly. He could go there and, and present the whole thing. And uh, obviously, he uh, convinced um, some of the angels, got some money. And at that point in time, uh, there was a small investment also from, from the, the dynamic side. And uh, I was kind of the um, uh, board observer then for this part of the investment. And so... We get along like uh, for one and a half year, he did it like really on his own. Like he had to discuss every micro decision for, for himself. Pretty hard, pretty tough. There was no one on the team during that time, nope. just him. He really, he started it alone, uh, pretty brave. Also brave from the investors to invest in a single founder. So usually you don't do that too much. So he must have been pretty persuasive. So, so also good at sales. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he is as well. He's very, uh, he's, uh, he's a guy when you talk to him, I think uh, 
strong character, so very good skills also in communicating. Yeah, it's a good one. So he can do everything, mainly, <laughs> if he wants to. So, uh, yeah, but after one and a half years, so it's pretty tough to be alone, I think. I started to think about going out, like, probably two years ago mm -hmm. or before that. Uh, yeah, a couple of ideas in my whatever sure. backlog. And I wanted to go um, out and start something by myself. But when we found out kind of at one board meeting that uh, he's not so sure how things are going to evolve, like after one and a half years, not everything worked perfectly at that point in time, like it usually is, but it's super hard alone. So in the train back from this meeting, we started to discuss about just creating a win-win situation. So probably I could join and uh like he would have someone to whatever discuss all the things and someone uh yeah a little bit more experienced probably in the enterprise sales part and so on and um yeah i i i would not have to start from zero i could start with a super smart guy who already uh won customers and did a software he already sold so it was kind of it just didn't kind of it worked but it just didn't kind of uh, have enough traction enough growth in it but they were already paying customers back then they were already paying customers when i when i joined so pretty cool opportunity yeah so we we said okay let's do it together uh some of the angels at that time found this a good idea and uh, we made a second small round and yeah the idea was just like here's the money for two years find out how to move the product to wherever you want mm -hmm. to make it kind of a product market fit. Are you open to disclose how much money you had to raise to survive for two years? Or is this more a private inf information? Not so sure. Probably I wouldn't disclose it, but it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's below 1 million. I can say that. So I think two people, two years, if you count, it's like pretty low salaries at that point in time for sure. But I think you don't need super, at least in a tech and software company, don't need yeah. super much money to have time to find out for two years uh, what you're doing. Yeah. And do you think that two years is a good time frame to actually push something from sort of idea to also, you know, get close or actually achieve product market fit? I think it's a good time frame. I would, if I would invest myself in a really early stage company i probably would tell them the same story for us i think it was pretty cool so for me it was kind of it was much money at that time kind of i think hey does the guy really have this braveness to give us just that much money for two years and obviously it uh, turned out good for him by the way or uh, for them who were there at that point in time uh, but um i think it's a really good time frame you really need you just need some time and it gives you a good feeling. Hey, we have two years yes. to really work on the thing. We are not stressed like every month. We have to make some, bring some results. I think in, if you want to create something with a little bit bigger impact and a bigger vision, you also need to give the guys or the girls a time frame where they're really, when you believe in them as people, as persons, then you have to give them kind of a good time frame and, and show your, uh, persuasion in them kind of so this showed us kind of yeah they really believe that we can do this so this is also a, a strong sign of support towards your address basically super super sign yeah and uh yeah i just like the guys the three who were there at the time like the external they are still with us and uh 
really appreciate what they did at that point in time. Yeah, awesome. that they put uh, this in us. Yeah, and I also think that you know it always takes longer than you expect first. Mm-hmm. So two years is probably a really good time frame because otherwise you close the fundraising the first round, then you work on it, and then you realize, oh, we are actually getting short of money. So you need to start fundraising again in like I don't know three to six months. And if you raise enough money for two years, of course, if you can, then you're also in a good position to actually build really something and focus on building yeah. instead of getting the to fundraising again too quickly. Exactly. But in fact, we didn't raise funds after this round for about four years. Whoa. So we came to yeah. around 60 people uh, with that money, kind of. So we pretty early started to try to sell really on the enterprise side as well which when they pay upfront for one year, gives you the liquidity uh, to grow on further without additional uh, capital from the outside, which is also not only it's good to have capital, but it's also kind of a time, it's a distraction. Absolutely. It's not really focused on the business. So, yeah. So, yeah, if you can do it, if you have some knowledge about enterprise or SMB or bigger uh, uh, things with, with, lo- with longer sales cycles, um, probably this is a really good chance to get enough liquidity uh, from, from your customers, which is the best liquidity you can get for a Absolutely. company to grow. So It confirms so much of what you're doing. It's actually the best way probably to grow the company. Yeah, it is, but it's not so easy to keep up the pace at a certain uh, point in time. Yeah. Mm. You, Roger, and you, you basically both had families when you decided to take this step and probably also uh, cut your salaries by a significant amount. Mm -hmm. I can imagine this is not a a very easy or a a very easy decision that your family also can take lightly. How did you manage this? I think it was a really, really big risk for Roger when he began because, uh, let's say, uh, so I... I, in comparison to him, I worked kind of already in a management position, 12 years at Namix, I had some shares in there, so I could sell some of them when I uh, went out of Namix. So, yeah, for sure, I had to cut my salary kind of pretty significantly, significantly. but um, I think for me, uh, it was kind of a project. So I said, okay, it's the opportunity cost of whatever. 100, 200K, uh, but I do this as a, as a project. For e- I'll invest the money in my life, right. then buying with the money kind of a nice car or something like that. Yeah. And I sold it to my wife as a project for one year. And if it doesn't work out, if you don't see signs of it could work, then yeah, I don't know. I was 39 when I uh, get out. So I think with 40 and you have done several things in your life, you usually... It's not so much of a problem to get a job if you really need the money. Sure. Would, be a, would have been hard. <laughs> you want to avoid this. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think you just have to think about uh, there will always be opportunities in, uh, at this age, probably even with 50 if you're a good one. So that's probably, yeah, if you have a good track record yeah. and you know some people of your network, yeah, then you just, should probably be fine. Whatever, just try it. See it as a project or sell it as a project at home if you cannot convince your wife. Yeah. I think this is also a good strategy. You know, like I do it for one year. If it doesn't work out, I can always yeah. get back and then you sort of have their buy-in. Yeah, exactly. Cool. After you started the company and you also took over as a CEO, I mean, two years after launch in total, you already hit pretty significant growth or actually 
you grew quite rapidly. You grew to 75K users. That's a, a number that was once published in a newspaper after two years. And growing a platform with a pretty fast pace is not that common in Switzerland, I would say. How, how did you go about that? How did you grow the, co the, the company or the, the platform actually from zero users to 75K? Uh, good question. I think, first of all, you need, let's say, the technical base for this that this really also works in a performant way. Like not so many people, let's say, would could just create such a platform which works like from an architectural point of view and, and other things. So I think this the, first, the base is the product that this is possible and the technical capabilities. And then I think the second thing is um, you have to hit kind of the right time with the right idea, something which many people think of, oh, yeah, why? It's kind of obvious, kind of making this, stopping with those PDFs in a digital world, like this style guide, brand guideline PDFs, and sending them around via email and doing it online. I think I, the idea was there a long time ago, but nobody did a real good product for it. So the execution actually matters. Exactly. Yeah, I think nowadays, even more than before Apple, I don't know, the, <laughs> the whole execution is kind of it's super, it's really core for yes. mid and long term success, I believe. And the whole thing basically started because you saw this problem when you were dealing with the PDFs that were sent around yourself, right? Yeah, it was a mixture. Uh, so kind of, uh, we already had in the first uh, product, uh, Roger already built kind of, uh, when you work together with designers and developers, you can automatically create kind of a, an easy style guide, a small design system out of it. So this was already part of it, kind of a little bit. But then we, with uh, contacts to customers and looking into the market and also with our experience from before that we, uh, especially in the digital world, like when we get those PDFs with... Yeah how shall I design a brochure and now take this to make a website? It was, it's a pretty, uh, yeah, it, it was pretty hard for us at some point, uh, sometimes. And we said, hey, this is really a problem. We have to solve this. And I think there were like agencies tried to solve this with on a CMS base. And there's uh, different, were different approaches already, but uh, not so many products and not one good one, we thought, by looking at the market. We said, hey, we can do that better. And we already have kind of an interested customer at that point in time, a bigger one, who wanted to help us, like invest uh, into, uh, help us, like paid, let's say, the half of the development cost to really make our first, like, this type of product where we wanted to go, kind of. Was that also sort of a confirmation for you in terms of timing? Because I think that understanding when is the right timing is really difficult. Mm. Some also say it's, it's completely luck, so you cannot really influence it. But I think you can at least try to understand it and to try to understand whether you, your timing is right or how far you're off. I think when you have access to the real customers, mm -hmm. kind of, but this is the hard part. When you have nothing, it's hard to get a, a time slot with somebody really. So I think our, uh, the thing which was good, like Roger already built a product which worked. So we had something to get meetings at uh, real potential customers. So you could do a demo at their offices, basically. Exactly. But then they said, yeah, this is all cool, this collaboration thing. Like, But we actually would need that. This is really a pain in the ass for us. Uh, sorry about the wording. Oh, good. <laughs> and and uh, 
Yeah, so they say different things, but uh, then they say whatever, 10 different features or things they want to have. And, and when you can talk to two or three or four or five of the people you really understand, these are the ones who would buy your product. Um, I think then you get a pretty good sense of that it could work, that there's really kind of nothing in the market which solves this problem. So you basically just went out, you talked to potential clients, then you realized, hey, they don't have any existing solutions. And these are actually the pain points, also ideas to further develop the product. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of understood, hey, the timing cannot be that wrong. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And also to like, we also talk to agencies, for example, they're on the other Yes. side of the of the page so also they kind of gave us pretty good insight into the whole like brand agencies they really know the branding market right. and when they say like experienced brand consultants when they say hey we need something like this mm -hmm. i think yeah you can be pretty sure that it somehow should work if you do it right sure mm. You also said that you sort of developed the, the first product with your first client. So they sort of covered half of the development cost. Can you tell us a bit more how you actually got in touch with them and how you negotiated the deal that they can also pay half of the, of the costs? Yeah, this was mainly, uh, this was uh, at, at the beginning, mainly Roger's work. So he had kind of a connection to an agency guy, which found us somehow and found, hey, this is cool what you're doing. And I think we focused at that time more on the story for documenting really patterns like digital things. So not not first, we didn't go into this, uh, like we compete with the PDFs. But the really first was kind of, you also need a place where you can document your digital things, like which move, which have uh, states kind of, you cannot show in a PDF. So this was the first thing. And I think this was Lufthansa. And, uh, and, and this guy from the agency took uh, uh, or gave Roger the opportunity to visit Lufthansa, tell the whole story there. And yeah, I think during the process, then I started to work kind of for Frontified and I get into this involved and where the second one as well, a second bigger customer where another agency took us in. And with those two, uh, we managed to convince them of our idea, of our story. And they wanted just, they wanted our workspace, the product we had at that time on an enterprise level, right. but they also wanted this style guide thing. And so we said, come on, we do this. It's on a roadmap. Yeah, we want to do this, but can you probably help us that we can develop it faster? Right. And if you do this for you, it's uh, for us, it's super risky. We cannot uh, like do this from our own money. We said that yes. we probably could have tried to raise money, but we asked them and they said, it's okay. Yeah, we will pay you. But then it's really kind of, I think, the person in charge of creating the product, developing it, and probably yeah, also I mean like we both had to be. Um, you have to really think. You you have to feel how much they want to take influence because at the end of the day, you have to decide what's right for you and not for them. And this, I think, when you take money to develop in the early days part of your product for big clients. You have to be make very good expectation management at the beginning when you make the contract that you they can have a, a word in it, kind of. But at the end of the day, you will decide what exactly you do. For sure, you have to show them some mock-ups, some ideas, uh, involve them in the process. But you shouldn't just like 
then do whatever they say. You should really think yourself about where you want to go. How do you build a product that's not only for them, but also for a broader audience, like useful? Yeah, otherwise you, you run into the risk of creating sort of a customized product that you cannot sell to anyone else. Exactly. But I think Roger was super clear about that from the beginning. He knew what, uh, that we want to build something, not individual software, but really a product. And uh, yeah, we, we managed to uh, <laughs> keep it like, uh, yeah, uh, the decisions by ourselves. Yeah. And then I think with the st style guide, you also focused on, first of all, very good user experience. So make it super easy, but also on self-onboarding users. I think that also helped you to cope with the growth that you did not have to invest a lot of time to actually onboard all the single users, but you actually created a process that was so good that people easily understood, probably inspired by Apple, by having it very simple, mm -hmm. uh, that they could onboard themselves. So what role did this simplicity combined with UX play in terms of your growth that you had early on? Mm -hmm. I think nowadays, like the software companies in the SaaS uh, um, uh, world, mainly try to build a product that is really self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. So when you come in, you onboard yourself. So it, there's no person needed to make a one-hour call with you that exactly. you understand the value that the product gives you. This is the self-service part. And I think uh, when you do that, this is kind of at the end, even if you make an enterprise product at the end, this is a lead generation engine. Like small teams and bigger clients will start to try it. Like there's a free plan, hopefully. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and then you get super much feedback from them, from this group of people. You can uh, make your product faster, better than comp competitors. You only have feedback from enterprise customers. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you just have to be good enough to create a UI and a software that uh, really works, like is understandable when people onboard into the software. It's not so easy. It looks it's pretty easy when exactly. you have <laughs> nice onboardings of the best SaaS companies worldwide, yeah. but it's not so easy to make this yourself. Yeah. There's really lots good. of work behind that. There's lots of work behind that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, you also grew the company further. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had very massive growth, I would say, for a Swiss company especially. Mm -hmm. But you are still based in Switzerland. You are headquartered in St. Gallen in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. in, in what way has this growth actually been enabled by your Swiss home base? And where did you also face some drawbacks or challenges by being based in Switzerland? Because now you also have uh, sort of clients from all over the world. Mm -hmm. I think it... Nowadays, if you really do a SaaS uh, uh, solution, it doesn't matter too much where you are in the world, kind of. So, really can, so we want kind of many, many US customers uh, only with video calls. So they're, for example, super used to it because even inside the US, people cannot like yeah. uh, drive around just like in Switzerland it's a two-hour train drive to the next customer so so they're pretty used to it so this works pretty well um, I think there's uh, some pros being in in Switzerland um, or especially also kind of in St. Gallen mm -hmm. um, one of the pros is probably that um, you don't compete with many other startups here like for talent Yes. There's the university pretty close. And I think the whole region here has, yeah, I, I, the density of smart people is not uh, much less than probably in Zurich. Mm -hmm. 
and and uh, if they don't want to live in the city, when they start having kids and children, it's probably too expensive to buy a house in Zurich or around Zurich. So they sometimes they move back to here and they search for an environment where they can work like it was probably in the city, mm-hmm. kind of. And so we're pretty special here. So like. From the talent acquisition point, uh, it's I think it's a pro to be in St. Gallen. Mm-hmm. What's a little bit hard is kind of to get uh, the exchange and, and and learn fast with other kind of. So yeah, I can go to Zurich for sure, but it's not like hey, come on, let's just meet for a coffee today. Yeah. I have this and this and that problem. You're not like neighbors, so you're not yeah. neighbors to the beekeeper guys and to the others, uh, which are in our space, kind of the SaaS B two B space. Uh, but yeah, we try to meet from time to time and exchange some learnings. Yeah, try to build a little SaaS community here in Switzerland as well. And are there also any drawbacks by sort of staying here in St. Gallen? Ah, I, no, I don't think so. Yeah, Probably for sure. Only, only it's, it's, the weather. No, no, it's, it's really, no, let, let's say, look, uh, if, you, if you grow fast, you also have to learn fast because the playbook is kind of different from 10 to 50, as from 50 to probably 200 people. And we're in a situation where we didn't do this by ourselves. So, and there's not many people here in St. Gallen who could help us on this way, or we could recruit to work here, like which have really this experience of expanding from whatever, 5 million ARR to 50 million ARR. Yeah. So, and, and, and convincing people for example, from the West Coast or from the UK to or from Berlin to move to St. Gallen to work here is a little bit hard, to be honest. It's probably easy. I don't know how it is for Zurich, but for sure, pretty. It's easier probably to tell someone from Berlin, come on over for a year to Zurich. It's probably also cool than come to St. Gallen. So this is probably one of the drawbacks uh, we face here. Mm. But I think we'll talk about that in a, in a second episode because there, your culture is basically a huge selling point, I can imagine, because you pay special attention to that. Yeah, we try to. Yeah. So we will cover that in a second episode. What I'm also interested in is to talk about the future. I mean, you continue to grow uh, fast and you also go international with your clients, with your sales. What are your plans for the future? Do you think that you will sell the company at a certain point or that you might even do an IPO, which would be fantastic for the Swiss startup ecosystem? What are your plans for the future? In fact, yeah, from time to time we think about that. We already discussed this, but uh, internally, but I think we are not the type of, of uh, what I can say to this, we're not the type of startup that uh, we never seek like for a fast exit. So it was never meant to build something money focused. So it's probably part of the cultural part then, second part. But um, we always try to build something where uh, like Roger, as well as me, that, uh, build an environment where we like to work. So I think we cannot answer this question at this point in time, but for sure, it's more like if, if I would have to choose between those two options, ah, it's super hard to, to tell. But yeah, let's, let's put it like this. We're not actively searching for some kind of exit. We think we have a big enough vision to really be able to, to, to grow even to an even bigger company. And uh, yeah, why not? I don't know in how many years, but uh, I think with the vision, it would be possible at some point in time to go public. I yeah, at least in my imagination. But it's so many roadblocks in between this way. I believe we don't, we didn't do it already in our lives. So 
it's a pretty tough question. So. But hey, you also didn't do the big scaling as you do it right now. Yeah, exactly. Attracting talent, so I'm sure you can figure things out <laughs> by the way. Yeah, we try hard yeah, to figure it out. But really, I think this would be a fantastic story for the whole Swiss star startup ecosystem. There are three to five companies that I think are on a good path. Frontify is, is one of them. And I think this would be just fantastic for the whole ecosystem. Yeah, we're probably not the first IPO. one, by the way. There's some others which are a sure. little bit uh, in front of us uh, in Zurich, but that's super good. So. so you can ask them after they did it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I, there's really so one or two guys which I always, always can ask. So they're one year in front of us and I can ask them how they did things. And yeah, I get some really good advice for them. Super helpful, always. Andy, before we conclude the episode, I have the question about the favorite tools and gadgets for you. Are there any tools or gadgets that you use on a regular basis that you can recommend to our listeners? Uh, spontaneously, like um, I'm not so much of the super special gadget guy and not so super much into that, but I really like my Freitag backpack, mm -hmm. which is waterproof and I like to, if it's possible like time-wise to commute with my with an e-bike to the office like to have time for me to think about things yes. and not getting getting distracted and um uh yeah when i look to the table here's my my phone what i really like is kind of the the cover of the phone is magnetic oh. and in the car there's really just a magnet and you just sit into the car and just put it there and it's really thin so i think this is a really nice invention and uh yeah yeah pretty small thing but i i like it yeah small things can make a big difference <laughs> yeah. right and the last question for this episode are there any additional resources like books or blogs podcasts that you yourself consume on a regular basis yeah, for sure. So kind of uh, really focusing on, on the whole SaaS uh, uh, thing. I think uh, saster.com is a very yes. good source. Like Jason Lemkin, I think uh, nowadays people in SaaS know him. I think three or four years ago, he wasn't that. Uh, uh, go to Saster in Paris, visit that. We were this year. It's really cool. The whole community there, you can learn a lot. The main event in San Francisco is also very I've never cool. been there. I just heard we went 25k people there. It's really it's massive. It's huge. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah, we yeah. attended this year with our okay. team. It cool. was super cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then I also really admire what David Scott is writing. His uh, website is forentrepreneurs.com, I believe. Um, I think mainly when you're a little bit, like not so much in the super early days, probably, but when you start to scale, like from whatever one, two million AIR, I think it's, it's worth uh, reading what he writes in his blog, like gives out for free with templates. And then Christoph Jans from Point Nine Capital, also super good blog posts, super nice. Uh, also his guys now, he, not, he doesn't write anymore like everything by himself. In the beginning, he much by himself. Now, but also what the guys write, uh, uh, like more seed focused, VC focused, but they write very, very good things where you can learn a lot, yeah. There's also a nice overview of the SaaS napkin. Yeah, exactly. I think that's also pretty cool. Oh, really? The, the guy knows what he's talking about. He's a good one. So a good source of... Uh, it's also bad sources, but those three are good sources of... Uh, yeah, Lemkin a little bit sales-focused. Yeah, for sure. American. Scott is also <laughs> more like sales marketing engine-focused, but a little bit more in numbers. And uh, um, yeah, and, and, and Point Nine is more also like... Cult, they, they think, there's more the European way of 
telling p telling things. So for European startups, probably Christoph Jans is a good beginning. But uh, three very very good sources that you chose here. Yeah, awesome. thank you. So you know them as well. Then. I mean, you have to follow yeah. them, I would say. Yeah. But uh, very yeah. good recommendations. Yeah. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I wish you all the best with. Maybe the future IPL. We will see who will follow you, right? <laughs> yeah, let's see. This uh, will take a long time. But yeah, hopefully. All the best and time. thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the conversation with Andy, please leave a rating at Apple Podcasts. Next week, we'll already be back with a new episode. We'll talk again to Andy, but this time about scaling culture. Scaling your company culture is probably one of the biggest and toughest challenges that you face when you're growing a company. How Frontify successfully did that, all about their tips, tricks, and hacks, you will learn all of these things in our next week's episode at Swisspreneur. We hope to see you again for an all-new Swisspreneur podcast next week.